You're listening to the Veteran Etc. Podcast, as there's always more to be said about a veteran. Join your host, Mike Kim, a veteran, ex-monk, season war trauma therapist, and writer, as he shares his years of research in veteran readjustment culture and the meaning of warrior life. Now, here's your host, Mike Kim. The veteran-civilian gap, myth or reality, question mark. This is an audio essay created by Michael Kim. Usually, we look at the military and we see the military as something outside of society. And so, especially during the last war, the war on terror, the 20-plus year war on terror, we had military writers, we had vets, we had all kinds of folks talk about this military-civilian divide. It was almost as if it was something like the military-civilian, you owe me something, society. And as I see it, maybe that's so. Maybe that's not so. Maybe that's something to be spoken about in another essay. But with this essay, I introduce the veteran-civilian gap, the veteran-civilian divide. If you do a Google search, it automatically goes to military-civilian divide, military-civilian gap. So I introduce something, well, I'm not sure if it's new, but I will dare to say that it's something that is being pursued and being pursued originally in the way that I look at how reality and myth are created and how civilians and veterans tend to move around in circles in regards to myth and reality out of, let's just say, convenience. I do it myself. I remember just recently, as recent as two days ago, in a famous professor's class at Columbia University, where the classroom was was full, and I decided to speak. And it was just convenient for me to identify myself, not to pose as something that I wasn't, but more like to abbreviate something, more like to give a certain type of meaning to who I was. And in that way, I communicated a certain image. And that image was accurate, but at the same time carried a myth to it. And so I think we all, on some level, move between myth and reality. My question is, are we aware of it? Or are we convinced that this thing we call being a veteran is reality, 100% reality? Or do we just go and blindly look at things and treat those things as like a mythological story for the masses to follow? Now, I am not a judge of what is in the mind of other veterans or civilians, but it's helpful for me to even look at my own myths and my own reality. I say this as a psychoanalyst, not so much as Mr. John Wayne Warrior with 10 different 
special operations tabs or anything like that. I can say that I was in a Marine special operations capable unit. I can say that I earned my jump wings and I was on jump status as a Marine. I can say that. Now, I know that I could have said many other things tied to that, whether it's in a bar or with friends or just shooting the shit with other vets because stories are never completely straightforward. I think that we can have myths and realities tied together. And our job is to have a level of integrity to face what those myths and what those realities are and to catch them at a time and to even revise them in the sense that they're always aimed at truth. Not the truth, but at truth. And that's an unfolding story. People speak about a fixed truth, but I'd say that, and in many ways, I agree with the post-structuralist thinking of Ernesto Laclau in his thoughts about looking at things from a sense of time and context. And I think that would be very helpful for veterans instead of veterans and civilians creating these fixed stories on who they are, what they experienced, what the politics and the history of war, the military, the enemy, the ally, what they're all about. To a certain extent, we've got to stretch ourselves outside of a fixed reality or a fixed myth. And in looking at Laclau, I would say that Laclau's view on articulation is important. That basically, as we speak about the different topics, as we write about the different things tied to the military and war, we have the potential to further articulate our views, our life worlds, our situations tied to war and the military. I appreciate Robert O'Neill's story in Esquire, the Navy SEAL who shot Osama bin Laden. Now, I don't know Robert O'Neill all that well. I know him through social media, exchanging maybe a like here and there on his birthday. Outside of that, I just remember the article that came out in Esquire just after the Osama bin Laden mission that ended up defining him. But what was interesting in that is that we see a whole different Robert O'Neill, right? He's not fixed inside the bubble of being something out of zero start 30. Instead, we get the image in the Esquire article of a Robert O'Neill who experiences readjustment who is going along the journey of life after being a Navy SEAL, losing his sense of signified life as, as a SEAL Team 6 specialist, the elite of the elite, and moving into this new zone called civilian life and not being something as a worshipped figure. And that's because Rob O'Neill created himself after leaving the SEALs as someone not to be worshipped. As a matter of fact, the different projects that he's been involved with 
are quite interesting. His work with Marine Medal of Honor recipient Dakota Meyer project that he, Robert O'Neill and Dakota are a part of, in many ways, are, are expressions of grassroots veteran work. Again, not fixed and always room for a level of articulation to talk more about. And I think that in the veteran reality, there's something that has to be said about readjustment, reintegration, a sense of researching the soul, the mind, the body. These are important things to look at when we pay attention to our lives, when we're out of uniform and we're living the path of veteran existence. The article tied to Robert O'Neill, the man who shot Osama bin Laden, well, 2013, that's something that can be found. And let me just add, is screwed. Yes, the man who killed Osama bin Laden is screwed. It's an article that is written by Phil Bronstein. And as mentioned, there's not much of a fixed narrative here. Instead, we have a counter-narrative. We have an alternative narrative. We have something where time and context are full of ironies. And as veterans, we all have ironies, right? We had them when we were in the military, when we can laugh at our paycheck. That's an irony for all, all the work that we would do while in uniform, whether it's in a war zone or not. And I think the issue of things being fixed in the veteran or the military worlds to a certain extent are given this type of identification when in the late 50s in during the Cold War, we have Samuel Huntington, military studies, military sociologist, one, one who probably was the first to really talk about the military professional in his book, The Soldier and the State. And he provides a narrative on how the American fighting man, woman, they are part of a democracy that has a separate military that is just separate, right? That basically, since the military is under ultimate control by Congress, that it's separate and it's supposed to be allowed to do anything it wants pretty much to adapt to the mission at hand, to go and do whatever is needed to defend our democracy. Well, that's that's one side of a fixed reality. The other side is not so fixed, but it's somewhat fixed. And that is the narrative given by Morris Janowitz, another military studies pioneer, military sociologist, the author of the book, The Professional Soldier. Here, democracy is central in the sense that the military is not separate. The military is tied to American society as part of democracy and does everything to focus on the defense of democracy first. That is the primary mission. And here, what can be lost, though a noble effort and one that I prefer, Democracy becomes empty to a certain extent in the sense that 
what do you define democracy to be, right? Much like how Huntington talks about this separate type of military. Well, what, what does that look like really? In both books, whether you're looking at the soldier in the state or the professional soldier, it's problematic because they're not operating in full camps towards reality. Sure, they talk about the structure, but the events at that present time are not really brought to life. And that's where I would say the dance of myth and reality are important. And here's where I bring back the veteran civilian gap, because we all know that when these military, literary, marquee light glam vets started writing books and distributing them throughout America, that was like popping smoke to deal with the issues within the veteran world. When Phil Clay writes a editorial, like back during the earlier part or mid part of the war on terror, talking about veteran readjustment, he is speaking as a veteran, but does not engage any of the specific issues regarding veterans in his New York Times editorial piece. And I'm just not speaking about Phil. I'm talking about many, many other veterans, many of his peers, many of my peers. These generalizations regarding the veteran terrain ignore the day-to-day -day life as Walter Benjamin, the critical theorist who spoke about daily life. And what, what is this daily life all about? I, I tend to bring that up with veterans, right? To understand time and context. Again, going back to this post-structuralist understanding of things unfolding and looking at how events, concepts, how they're not generalized, how they can be broken down into meanings. For example, a veteran at the VA hospital going through a burn pit screening, that is a more, much more of a reality and less of a myth that's discussed and less discussed by the New York Times or these veteran writers. When we talk about veteran suicide and we give out a number, we rarely discuss the suicide survivor. How many suicide veteran survivors do we have, right? Should that also be a number discussed as well as the different narratives tied to veteran suicide? The survivor is someone that would be a great source to engage in regards to veteran suicide, in regards to policy, in regards to treatment, in regards to care, compensation, etc. Yet, we tend to move into the easy realm of avoiding the reality and instead tie ourselves down to the myth, whether we're the writer the publisher or the reader, because it's easier. It's easier to deal with the myth versus the reality. And so they call upon us to look at the civic duty proposed by Lucius Cincinnatus, the great patrician Roman 
figure who was part of the early Roman Republic, who basically had called upon veterans to live a life tied to civic duty. And I would say that that would be with us to live a life of civic duty, to remember that versus the duty to our own egos, our own vet egos. I have been guilty of it. I know many others have been guilty of it. But I hear on this episode of Veteran Etc. and this audio essay, I pose the question, when are we in and out of veteran myth? When are we in and out of veteran reality? Brought to the writer Somerset Mom, who wrote about a World War I veteran in The Razor's Edge. And here at the end, after going through war, after experiencing romance, after going through life in Paris in the 20s, the main character, Larry, ends up in Nepal. I once did this. And after I read The Razor's Edge the second time. And Larry, it's quite interesting because after he experiences all these aspects of life, much like Buddha experienced all these different stages in his life, Larry basically comes to the conclusion that nobody owes him anything, that he is not owed anything. And I think that that can be helpful when we try to look at the veteran civilian gap and we see the reality that in reality, it's more of a veteran landslide that in every war, in every period in American society, the veteran has been forgotten, isn't treated as well, isn't given much attention until another war develops. And therefore, it's in a constant state of landslide and not much of a, a divide. Why it could be a veteran civilian landslide is because our civic duty, we've lost that as veteran and as civilian. I am part of the New York draft board. Yes, we do have a draft board. It's called the Selective Service. And I was selected by Republican and Democrat. I was nominated by Democrat. I was approved by the last president, Donald Trump. The thing is, on this board, if there's a state of national emergency, I'm to evaluate the records of people eligible to go be a part of that emergency via the uniform. At one time, we had that as part of the social and cultural fabric of America. That ended in 1973. Since then, we've been in a perpetual state of small wars and large wars. And so when we have even progressives like me who talk about these forever wars, we don't want to specifically speak about the draft. We don't want to specifically deal with the facts about 1973 and why the draft was instituted. It was instituted so in many ways the executive branch could have an easier way to intervene militarily and to have a more efficient approach towards having Congress not fully get involved in the whole war process. 
and we could see throughout the years all pretty much my my life whether it's panama haiti lebanon grenada the balkans persian gulf war at least part of persian gulf war iraq isis all of these things these expressions of war to a certain extent have had limited congressional participation surely not as complete as other wars and so the challenge is when are we involved in the myth and when are we involved in the reality i'm left with jenna carlton and her millennial vet panel on instagram and also on facebook where jenna leaves a question to veterans regarding the veteran civilian divide and her i think she calls it the military civilian divide and so that made me think about appropriating that in many ways to look at my views on how veterans and civilians have a gap and as i think further more of a landslide and even further i see that this is not an issue of myth or reality but i would say more both myth and reality the complexities are up to us to look at closely we are called as americans in our civic duty to look accurately into the myths and realities that unfold from this so-called veteran civilian gap veteran etc invites you to join us again with your host mike kim every sunday if the content from this podcast is informative to you please share the podcast with others give a like and or post something you learned from the episode on social media if interested in other truly informative podcasts like veteran etc check out cominghomewell.com for a listing of other veteran based podcasts thank you for tuning in